Well, good morning, Heights family. It's good to have you joining us out there from Midlothian. Hey, listen, you just saw a video talking about promoting, hopefully getting you excited about next Sunday, Friend Day. I have always believed this is one of the most exciting Sundays in our, in our year. It's one of our most exciting opportunities. Hey, on some level, every Sunday can be that, should be that. But next Sunday, we're definitely focusing on that. And folks, that is the gospel. That is the opportunity to see people saved, to see people follow him in baptism. It's going to be a great day. I want to challenge you, encourage you, plead with you as your pastor. Would you be praying about that? Would you every day this week pray about the people that are going to be here, how the message is going to come out, that, that people's hearts are open, be praying that people are saved, be praying about who you might still need to invite, about how you can encourage. There are people in your life that need to be here next Sunday, that, that need to be a part of this. So number one, pray. Pray about what's going to happen here. Number two, invite Bring a friend with you. That's, it's friend day. Bring a friend with you. And then the third thing I want to encourage you to do is get involved with Go Fish. Go Fish is a real simple activity that we do periodically. We're doing it this Saturday. You see the details in your bulletin where we go door knocking in our community and just leave an invitation on their door to join us at church. Folks, we've had many people. I, I use the word purposely, many. We've had many people not only come to our church because of this, but have come to faith in Christ, joined the church, been baptized. It is very effective. It's nothing that puts you on the spot or, or under confrontation with somebody at the door. You just tell them who you are. You hand them the invitation and say, have a good Saturday. So would love to have a great go fish this coming Saturday as we prepare for the next day. So you join me in trying to do all three of those things this week. Well, you know that I'm trying to save my voice, you know that I'm trying not to talk so that I can avoid surgery, and yet I'm, I'm preaching. I got a lot of comments last week about, hey, did you think of, of filming this? Now, out at Midlow, you, you always see a film, but not so much here at Colonial Heights. That's not something that you're used to, but that's what we are going to do today. I'm going to kick it over to a video here, and you're going to see the message by me, on this topic, for this day, everything that was planned, we'll just see the entire thing uh, on the screen. So next week, I'll be live. I will be doing Friend Day, but today, thought I'd rest my voice and get us prepared. I, I'm going to preach from notes. I don't think anybody here has seen me preach from notes in 14 years, but I'll tell you what, by not preaching this morning live and, and, and by using notes, I cut out, I think, eight rehearsals. And then the three times on Sunday morning. So I cut out 11 presentations of this sermon by going to the video. So sure praying that God will bless that, bless your prayers for me, and I can, I can get healed up here. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to the screen now. Well, we have all just watched me go from live to Memorex, and hopefully you can't tell the difference. We're continuing today our series called Can I, and today's Can I question brings us to Can I Drink? Now, right now, there's more than likely some people in here thinking, is, is this a question? But, but the funny thing is, some of us think it's not a question because the answer is obviously yes. 
And then there's some others who think this is not a question because the answer is obviously no. I'm pretty sure that makes this a question. I was roaming around the other day on the internet just looking at articles, what's being written, what's being said on this, seeing if it had changed much over the years, and and it hasn't. The, The same words are being defined, the same arguments are being developed, whatever side of this issue of drinking somebody might be coming from, it's pretty much the same. Now, what you have today that you didn't have 10, 15, 20 years ago is you've got all the comments that people make after an article. And I mean, wow, that's, that's where the read is. So I, I came across this one article. As a matter of fact, this one was actually sent to me uh, that was called 50 Reasons Why I Don't Drink. And the author says that, hey, I am going to present a zealous view of abstinence. And she says right up front, I'm writing this as a former alcoholic. And so I'm going to give you these 50 reasons. He, she said they're drawn from the Bible, though they're not meant to be a, you know, an exposition of the text. They're just 50 motivations she feels like she pulled from Scripture. As a matter of fact, let me just give you a couple of these. I thought this is a kind of a, an idea of what they sounded like. One of them was what I do in moderation, my children are going to do in, in excess. Uh, Another one, rarely is alcohol used to bring you and others close to the Lord. Alcohol leads to bad behavior. Obviously, we could say, well, not all the time, but it absolutely does lead to bad behavior. Another one, alcohol has profoundly and negatively affected many marriages and families. What a truthful statement there. One more, we should do nothing that leads anyone to question. We avoid the appearance of evil. That's actually a biblical command. It, the issue's not whether something is right or wrong. The issue's not if I'm innocent in my action or my intent. The issue is I don't even want to give the appearance to somebody of doing wrong. So anyway, this is the kind of thing she's, she's talking about. And uh, I ran off the article. You know, her preface comments and, and the 50 statements and the conclusion, two pages, only two pages. But if I were to run off the comments that followed her article, folks, it would have been over a 100 pages. I mean, people went nuts in responding, not as much even to the article after a little while, but in responding and fighting back and forth with each other uh, from both sides of this. And in the dialogue that unfolded, I noticed a couple of things. As a matter of fact, I made three observations, and they kind of became important to me as I shaped today. The, the first observation I made is both sides zealously hold their view even to the point that they will question the other side's salvation. Second observation I made was no one. And understand, these comments aren't just seconds after the article. These comments go on for days, even weeks after the article was written. No one changed their mind. Regardless of something explained or proved or or pointed out, not one person changed their mind from their original point of view. The, The third observation I made is, hey, both sides quote Scripture. Both sides break down the meaning of this word and that word and and alcohol content. 
So I think there is, and I'm not saying this is the only issue, this is the only topic like this, but I think this one's a little bit unique in that this is an issue where you can find authoritative, even scholarly research to support the view you already have. Whatever view you have, you're going to be able to go and get, uh, you, you know, the proof that you're, you're right. So we're almost back to this challenge. If you'll remember the way I started this series, uh, we're back to the challenge of letting Scripture speak. Because I, I, I made the comment a couple of weeks ago, we all bring something, we all read something into the Scripture. We bring our ideas, we bring our beliefs, we bring good things and bad things, right things and wrong things. We bring all that into the moment we're reading Scripture. It's going to affect. And so what happens is we start telling Scripture what it's saying instead of the Scripture tell us what it's saying. So, so that's our, our challenge as we, as we do this. So what I have observed... Uh, in this argument and this debate over the years and and especially in reading those articles is I think I have a pretty decent chance today to make everybody mad and convince no one of anything. Hey, just another day at the office. It's an exciting part uh, of, of what I get to do. You know, as I say that laughingly, I mean, it, it really is true. And, and it made me start thinking of something that I said a couple of weeks ago when we were on the topic of sex. You know, I, I made the, uh, the comment then that sex is an issue that a lot in the world and even inside the church, they think that the only thing God has to say about sex, that the Bible has to say about sex, is something negative. It, it, it's, it's a no. And there's a reason that there's that feeling. Because it's, it's true. I mean, sexual immorality has had such a profoundly horrifying effect on the individual, on the community, on the world. There's no surprise that the Scripture is going to have a lot of no, 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 no. You know why God says no? Because He intensely loves you and wants for you good and wants for you what is right. And so He's going to say no, 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 no. But remember what we also said? That in the midst of all those no's, there are some profound yeses. There are some wonderful yeses. And and I guess kind of here's the key thought. The yes is inside the boundary. When you stay inside the boundary, there's a wonderful yes. But boy, when you get outside the boundaries, there starts to become all these no's because outside the boundary is the danger. It's the destruction. I I am beginning to wonder, and this is a new thought for me. This isn't something I've always thought or I've, I've always understood. This is kind of new for me. I'm wondering if drinking might kind of fall into that same category. That, that yes, when we go to Scripture, we find a lot of no's. But there are some places where there's a yes. There, there are passages where it really seems that God is saying yes and that He, he gave us wine as a, a good thing, but it's a good thing inside a context. It's a good thing inside a boundary. And here's the problem. We don't like boundaries. I mean, we 
we do not, that's, that's not unique to being American, that's not unique to, to 2016, people everywhere of all time, we don't like boundaries. And so when we move beyond the boundaries, that's when we bring destruction. That, that's when we bring the problem. So what I thought I might do today, and this is a, a, a different approach, because you, you would expect, okay, we're talking about drinking. I'm going to prove the yes, or I'm going to prove the no. No, I, I, I kind of felt led to kind of go a different direction, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to communicate something to the yes group, and I'm going to try to communicate something to the no group. And prayerfully, what I'm communicating, that all of it, comes from Scripture and God's Word. So let's start off. Let's talk first to the no group, okay? Now, if you're in the no group, you are probably used to saying something like, uh, you know, taking a drink is not a sin, but, and then we want to right away with a lot of energy and zealousness get to the but and basically explain why, yes, it is a sin, and, and, and here's all the sin that flows from that. Um, in this group, there's probably a chance, if you're in the no group, that you think a little less of somebody who drinks. And you kind of wonder, can they, can they really be devoted? Can they really be growing in the Lord? How could they be involved? In, I mean, it, it just brings a lot of question to our mind that we can't help but think a little less. Maybe we think a lot less of someone who drinks. And you know, that's unfortunate because there are godly people throughout the history of the church. And I mean godly, devout people who have lived well for God and been drinkers. I, I, I kind of started looking this up and, and was kind of surprised. These are not things that I had thought. I mean, I knew it. But, but I didn't really ever want to know it. I didn't ever really want to look at this. And, and so I started researching and found some, some interesting people. Arthur Guinness, do you know that name? Maybe if I take off the word Arthur and just say Guinness, we might know Guinness beer. Yeah, Arthur Guinness was the, the founder of a, a, of a big European beer company, a beer maker. D- did you know that Arthur Guinness was a profoundly devout follower of Jesus Christ. Folks, I don't mean he went to church, he was a Christian, he lived as a pretty good person while he ran this big beer company. No, no, I mean he was a profound follower of Christ. Well known, his reputation well known for all that he did to help the poor. As a matter of fact, do you know what else Arthur Guinness is credited for? This just kind of blew my mind. Arthur Guinness is credited with starting Sunday school in the United Kingdom. Uh, obviously, I'm talking back in the, in the 1800s. He's really the one who started the Sunday school movement uh, in the United Kingdom. I mean, this is a guy living for God, for the gospel, and, and, and the church. You know, another one like and Arthur Guinness, a little bit closer to home, Samuel Adams. Yes, we, again, a beer maker, one of our founding fathers. You can still find the Samuel Adams beer bottle today. Did you know he also was a very devout, profound follower of Jesus Christ? You, you know, if we're not careful, we would also think less of, uh, well, gosh, almost all the reformers, uh, all those that led to the to the Protestant Reformation. I the word all, that's, that's a big word. I, I don't know that all reformers drank. 
I know that that was their culture. I know that's what they did. I know Martin Luther did. I know John Calvin did. I, I know that Zwingli, I mean, that, that's what they did. That was very much a part of their lives. Hey, you, you know another group? This one really blew me away. The Puritans. The Puritans. I mean, folks, this is, this is a group of people. This is a culture that is known for their piety. As a matter of fact, I would dare say, I'm not sure what second place would be. I'm not sure what other group of people we would point to that we would say, here's a group that has profoundly left their mark on the timeline of human history as being devout followers of Jesus Christ like the Puritans were. And here again, a regular part of the Puritan life or a regular part of their culture included drinking. Guys, C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis was a drinker. And as a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis not only liked his ale, he disliked and he preached against anyone who judged people just because they, they drank. Hey, any hymn lovers in here? Charles Wesley, the, the most prolific hymn writer in, in church history, wrote the most, wrote some of the most well-loved hymns, was known for liking his ale. Now, interesting thing about the Wesley family, obviously the Wesley's very profound in the Methodist movement, but uh, Charles drank. His brother John Wesley thought it was a sin to take even a sip. That had to make holidays at the Wesley house kind of interesting, don't you, don't you think? And, and, you know, so folks, we got all these people like this. Now, you're probably wondering right now, are you, are you trying to build a case for drinking? No, not at all. I'm absolutely building the case for not judging someone, not judging people because there's alcohol in their life, because, because they drink. Uh, listen, there are godly people throughout history that have drank as a, as a part of life. That, that's not something to be debated. It's, it's just a historical fact. There is the possibility of drinking and not being a drunkard of drinking and actually being a devout follower of Christ. Now, let's actually not just look at what people have done, but what does, what does Scripture say? You, Psalm 104, uh, verse 14 to 15 says, You, God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart. This verse just told me that God gave us wine and he gave it to us for the purpose of gladdening the heart. Folks, gladdening the heart is an effect of alcohol. I mean, that, that's what that's a reference to. When, when you drink wine, it has, it has an impact. It has an effect. And, and that's from God? I mean, that's what it seems to be saying here. Isaiah 26, verse 6, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. You know, I just quoted Isaiah there. There's actually, and I, I didn't count them up. I should give a more accurate number here. There's probably 8 to 10 passages in, in the book of Isaiah that refer to wine as a, 
as a blessing, as a, as a sign of the blessing, the favor, the prosperity of God on our lives. There's likewise other passages that actually refer to the absence of wine, like, like, like say, a, uh, you know, the agriculture doesn't produce it, doesn't allow for wine, that that's a sign of curse, that, that the absence of wine there would, would be a sign of curse. And notice the words, well-aged and refined. You know what that's referring to? That, that's referring to, uh, to grape juice that has come into its full fermentation. It, it, wine that has come exactly what we, you know, crushed these grapes where we headed to them with. It has reached that point that we wanted. Well-aged, refined. This, this is the good stuff. And, and, and folks, you know, if you're in the no group, let, let's be honest, because I, I've, I've done this, we usually like to... You know, we like to talk about the alcohol in the Bible, especially when there's these weird positive verses. We like to prove that the alcohol in the Bible wasn't really alcohol, that, that, that the wine had no alcohol content, that, that the, uh, the fermentation was, you know, it was very minimal. It hadn't really happened yet uh, or, or, or how it just, you know, it, it had been cut down with water. We, we really like to highlight that. And you know what? There's truth to that. The, the Jew in their daily, what I would call table wine, you know, the, the wine that the kids drank, the, the, the wine that they had at lunch and dinner, day in and day out. Yes, they would make this wine and then they would cut it. I mean, you, you'll see different numbers as you read history. Four to one. You, you know, so you're, you're talking about something that's been very watered down. You could sit down to, to lunch with a Jew at that time and have four, five, maybe even six glasses of their wine before you had equaled the alcohol content of one glass of, of maybe something you would buy right off the shelf today. So it was cut down. But folks, to imply that every time the word wine is used positively, it was watered down to this is not true. It, it's not true. It's not accurate. There, that is a historically false statement. Then, just like today, you've got alcohol with all kinds of alcohol content in it from, from maybe what they drank day in and day out that would be 1% maybe all the way up to like, I mean, we've, I guess beer runs about 6%. The average wine on the shelf today, I think, is around 10 to 13. And then you get into the harder stuff. A lot more. I mean, there's a whole realm. Well, that's just as true in this day. They, they were drinking a whole realm of things that had various alcohol contents in it. The point is, when one reads Psalm 104, it gladdens the heart. There, what, whatever the content was, there was enough there that it gladdened the heart. Isaiah 26, that, that it was well-aged, it was refined. I mean, folks, it's talking about real wine with real alcohol content and that it's good, that, that it's a blessing. And then there is John chapter 2. Oh, my gosh. Let, let's be honest. How many of us Baptists in here today just kind of wish Jesus had never done this miracle? I mean, let, let, it would just make things easier, wouldn't it? Jesus, I wish you'd never done that miracle. If you're not familiar with John 2, that's where Jesus turns the water into wine. And after he performs that miracle, the, 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 the servants there gather up these pots of wine and they carry it to the host and he tastes it and, he, and he's overwhelmed by the good stuff. 
man, this is the best stuff. I mean, he makes the point. He said, yeah, and by the way, a, a wedding party, the, the, the reception afterwards lasted seven days in this culture and in this time. Seven-day party with wine being a part of it the whole seven days. And, and he makes the comment, he makes the point, man, usually after people have well drunk, after their senses have been dulled. Now, folks, what makes our senses dull? What makes us not care so much anymore? It's, it's, it's when we've already had the alcohol with, or the wine with real alcohol in it. The, the, the host says, that's when you bring out the bad stuff. <laughs> that's when you bring out the stuff that has no kick to it because nobody cares anymore. But he actually makes reference, wow, this stuff, this is the best stuff. This is, this is the good stuff. Now, 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 folks, you've heard me say this in a lot of sermons over the years. Content, Conte- I mean, or context, context is always a definer. I mean, here this guy is tasting this wine and saying, man, this, this is the best stuff. This is the, the good stuff. Y- you tell me, what, what does good stuff mean? I- I'm guessing it means the same thing then that it means right now. It means this is the good stuff. He's not saying, boy, I'll tell you what, that is the best grape juice that has barely any alcohol at all in it. No, folks, you're you're playing games with the Scripture to try to understand that's what he's saying. He's saying what he's saying. Hey, man, this is the good stuff. You know why? Why why would he say that? Because I asked myself that question. Jesus, why would you do that? Why would you provide that? And then it dawned on me that Jesus is the author of Isaiah. That what Isaiah said, that God would give us this well-aged, this refined wine because it's good. It's a blessing. It's, it's for pleasure and enjoyment. Yes, God does that. Yes, God gives that. He, he did it in Isaiah and the same God in John chapter 2. Jesus is, is doing that again. Now, I know that many of us here in the room, out at Midlow, watching us by live stream, regardless of what side of this view you're on, if you're like me, you haven't been to church a whole bunch and heard alcohol talked about in a positive light. You, you, you haven't heard a whole lot of, of messages that include God in talking about alcohol in a positive light. Hey, that's a new place for me too. I've been thinking about that a lot this week. And you know what? I've actually come to the place where I think that it's very important that we see Scripture says that. And and here's why. And and I'm going back. I'm, I'm going back to that illustration about sex. Sex is an issue. There's all these no's. No, 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 no. Alcohol. We're getting there in a moment, folks. <laughs> There are a lot of verses, no, 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 no. But you know what? If all we think God is saying is no, then pretty soon it's easy to begin thinking that, that something like sex or something like alcohol is not from God. That, that's something that the world offers. That's something that Satan gives to us. And, and God doesn't have anything to say but, but no. So therefore, we don't look to God for his instruction, his kindness, his indirection. But when we understand that, hey, God actually has a yes in the boundary, in the right boundary, in the right context, there is a yes. I I think these things possibly, when we see God speaking positively, we realize, hey, these things need to be redeemed for God. 
Our sin carried them to bad places, not God. What God offers is good. And when we realize that, when we see that, then maybe what happens is we begin to turn to him for his plan, his purposes, his directions. So, you know, folks, here, here's the fact. Here, here, here's the fact. Somebody might say, you know, am I supposed to hear all this and think I need to start drinking? Do, do I need to become a drinker? Absolutely not. Hey, listen, here's another fact. doesn't matter whether you're for or against. This can't be argued. This is not an opinion. The list of things that comes into your life because you drink. Let me rephrase that. The list of good things that comes into your life because you drink. It's a pretty short list. The list of things that can come into your life because you drink. The the, the possibility of of things that come into your life that are bad, that's a long list. I'm not referring to drinking too much. I'm not referring to right or wrong. I'm just saying as you look at this, there's a short list and there's a long list. Okay, so there, no, there's absolutely no reason to say we want to encourage people to drink. But you know what? For those of us that tend to be more solid in that no group, I, I think looking at some of this certainly says, you know what? I mean, you need to be careful not to judge people, not to think less of people, not to think light of people because they, because they do drink. I mean, it is a reality that throughout history, there is the possibility to drink without being a drunkard. There is the possibility to drink and actually be a a devout follower of Christ. If I have no knowledge of drunkenness, if I have no knowledge of, of irresponsible behavior that flows from that drinking, then there's no reason for me to judge that person. Now, to the yes group. Yes, we, we needed to get to the yes group. We need to consider all of God's word, okay? Proverbs chapter 23. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and it goes down smoothly. And, and look at this line. Listen to this line, folks, because I think it's central to, to a lot of verses in the Bible. In the end, the wine, in the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. And I could add dozens of more passages that refer to drinking as a, as a curse that refer to the negative things that come into your life because of it. Dozens of passages that refer to the positive things that can happen because you don't drink, because you do abstain. Now, we might wonder, well, what is the Bible trying to say? How can the same Bible refer to to God giving something good, God giving something that is a blessing, and then turn around and say, oh, there's all these bad things? Because, I I mean, which is it? Well, well, folks, it's it's both. (laughs) I mean, it's it's what I've been saying here with this illustration about about sex and, and, and drinking is that God gives us good things, and then in our sinfulness, we make them bad. Hey, yes, the Bible says some great things about sex and and about wine. They're God's gifts, but we don't like boundaries. 
We don't like the instructions that go with it, and we move outside of that, and we bring incredible destruction into our life and, and into our, our culture because we don't accept those, those boundaries. So what that ends up leaving the Bible to do is it has one positive verse that is then followed up by ten negative ones, ten warnings, ten prohibitions, ten encouragements in, an, in another direction. Hey, listen, here again, whatever a person's view of drinking, practice of drinking is, here's something you can't argue, and that is there is an overwhelming amount of bad that ends up getting related to alcohol and to drinking. You know, there, there is no doubt right now in this room, listening through the live stream, are people who to this day look back and see that some of the worst decisions that they ever made in their lives, some of the worst events that they ever ended up in was as a result of alcohol. We start drinking, we move, we move beyond what Scripture allows, and, and we start getting into that drunk state. And, and guess what? Our inability to handle any kind of temptation, our inability to, to discern places I don't need to be, people I don't need to be with, things going down, all, all of that drops. There, there's a great inability to handle things and to end up in bad situations when we drink. Guys, folks, go home and Google alcohol related to murder, related to crime, related to domestic violence. I mean, it's huge numbers. 80% of murders, 90% of domestic violence, 60%. I mean, these huge numbers that wherever you see these horrible problems, alcohol's close by, alcohol's related to that, financial problems, lost jobs. I mean, there's just a whole host of alcohol problems. Have you ever noticed? And and obviously, I'm speaking to a little bit more of the mature body of Christ here, a little of those who's a little bit older, that when you go to the doctor... Or, or maybe you go to a new doctor or you get referred to a specialist. Man, whenever you're sitting in the lobby that first time filling out those 19 pages of, of forms you have to fill out, 100%. It doesn't matter whether you're going to see an eye doctor or a rear-end doctor. Every single doctor is going to ask. Well, they ask two things. Do you drink and do you smoke? Now, they're not asking you if you drink because they're going to judge you. They're not, they're not asking you because they're going to pull out the Bible and say, you're not supposed to. No, they, they're a doctor. They're there to treat you. And there is a fact of the human health of the human body that drinking creates health issues, that, that drinking makes solving health issues a little bit more challenging. So every single one of them is going to ask. You, you know, there's just a lot of negative that goes with this. Folks, while we can call alcohol, while we can call wine a a blessing from God, a gift from God, here's the other side of that. You can also call alcohol a destroyer. You know, I've been in ministry a long time. I've talked to a, a lot of people. You know, I've never to this day heard anybody say, you know, our marriage got so much better when we started drinking together. I've never heard anybody say, man, I was just kind of floating along in that job, really couldn't get to the next level. But I tell you what, I started drinking and my performance and my abilities just shot through the roof. You know what else you'll never hear anybody say? 
You'll never hear anybody say, you know what? When I started drinking, I just really found that my relationship with the Lord took off. My my ability to get into his word and study his word. Now, folks, we're talking about our purpose for being, to grow in the Lord, to know the Lord. You you won't ever hear anybody say, boy, when I started drinking, no, you, you, you don't see that. And so that leaves even... The most mature of us who who maybe can handle drinking. And I mean, there is that possibility. Mature, godly people who can rightly handle drinking. It, it, it never leads to drunkenness. It never leads to any of these issues. But even in that position, you still have to ask yourself, man, how much do I want to be connected with this? How much, how much do I want to model that for the people around me? I don't think that statement means you can never drink. But, but I think if you drink, you have, to, you have to ask that question. You have to reconcile that. You have to deal with it. So look, I'm already getting long. My goodness, even when I'm preaching from notes, I go long. Uh, I need to close with two principles. Now, these two principles are not about drinking or not drinking. These two principles aren't to take you, the drinker, you, the non-drinker, t- to a new place. These are two principles that all of us are called to live under. I call them principles. They're, they're commands. This is what you and I are commanded to be and do. The first principle, I must diligently. That means I work at it day in and day out. There's never a time. There's never a place I'm not. I must diligently stay under the influence of one. And that's the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, and do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You know what, folks, when I'm filled with wine, it controls, okay, it, it controls the way I walk, the way I talk, how I think, how I act. There is in that moment, literally, when I'm drunk, there's literally nothing about me that is not being controlled and directed by the alcohol. So Paul says, okay, you know that thought, you know that experience, take out the word alcohol and now put in the word spirit. Okay, when I, I, I'm not supposed to be under the influence of alcohol. What I am supposed to be under the influence of is the Holy Spirit. He should be guiding everything about how I walk, how I talk, how I think, how I act. There should be no part of me that, that's not under his influence. You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit or one of the evidences that he really, that I'm really under his influence, folks, is self-control. There's nothing that has control over me. There's nothing that drives me but the Holy Spirit. And and so we want, with wanting every part of our life to be under his influence, then that means, folks, we would never take a sip, not a sip, beyond where alcohol begins to control what belongs to the Spirit. That doesn't mean you can't drink. It means you can't take one sip beyond where the alcohol begins to control what belongs to the Spirit. That's a command on our life. It doesn't matter if you prove that drinking's okay, that drinking's right. You still can't take a sip beyond where the alcohol begins to control what belongs to the Spirit. Now, I could go on and say... Actually, this has a whole lot more to do with just alcohol. This is alcohol. This is drugs. This is food. This is porn. This is entertainment. This is anything. Nothing controls our life. Nothing influences and directs us. We live under the influence 
of the Spirit. A second principle, folks, we live for God and people, not our desires. This is a issue historically in America. It's, it's not a throughout the history of the church. This really has primarily been an American thing since the 1850s. But, I mean, I tell you what, the people who carry the banner against drinking and the people who carry the banner for drinking, it's like that's the thing. That, that's what life is about. Romans 14 says, no, it's not. We live for God and people, not desires, not the things of this world. Romans 14 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace. Do you realize that's a statement to both the drinker and the non-drinker? That's a statement to us when we're arguing about this. Both sides need to pursue what brings peace, what ultimately builds up each other. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Folks, life isn't about drinking. Has God given to that in, in certain places and times, fellowship, celebration for, for that to be okay? Possibly, yes. I mean, that, it, it, this scripture seems, seems to show that. Is, is alcohol destructive and bad? Yes. Does that become the thing we rail against and fight against above all? Life is not about this. Life is about God. Life is about people. Folks, everything we do including our eating, including our drinking, should point to our love for God, should, should point to our concern, our interest, our, our love for others. Folks, everything we should do should help people see God. So let's close with this. It's not wrong to drink. It's, it's not wrong to enjoy a drink. The Bible shows that as a, as a gift Something to be used in, in fellowship and in celebration. Something to use to, to gladden the heart. But you know what else the Bible says? It says, look at the state of the world. Look at the state of your culture. Look at the state of your own life. And folks, it seems that there is a lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom in never really building a life around drinking or that is about drinking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Give us your heart and your mind in how we look at this issue, how we live this issue, how we relate with others with this issue. God, it takes wisdom to understand that there's something that can be called a gift from you and yet can be so profoundly destructive in so many lives and throughout a culture. God, we want to represent you, and we want to represent your word. We want to represent your goodness and your glory, no matter what our view is, no matter what we do. Would you help us to, to do just that? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.